Anybody else alive out there today? Woo! Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? What an awesome, amazing God we serve. He's alive and very, very well. Hey, today is our fifth week in our series that we're calling Flipping the Script. And the basic premise of the series is that we have an enemy, a a very strong enemy, a very powerful enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy the abundant life that God has for us. And brothers and sisters, every day this enemy gives you a certain script to read. And this script, it's just full of lies, lies about you, lies about, lies about God. And listen, your enemy knows that if he can get you to read this script and to believe these lies, then he knows that he wins. And man, is that dark, evil sucker getting a lot of wins today. Wins, not victories, right? Because the battle ain't over yet, amen? And so what we're doing in the series is we are unveiling, revealing, unveiling some of his favorite and most effective lies, and then we are exposing those lies to the truth found in God's word. And one of the things that we have said over and over again in this series is that When we believe a lie to be true, we give that lie the same power in our life as if it was true, even though it's not true. And and in week one, I I gave us some pretty insignificant and harmless examples of some lies that we believe that have impacted the way we live. Lies like how eating carrots will improve your visions. Lies like how wounds need to breathe to heal or having to wait 20 minutes after eating to go back into the swimming pool. And a lot of us have believed those lies and live by those lies and still struggle with some of those lies. And this week I, I found an article online called 17 Lies you, Your Parents Told You as a Kid That You Still Kind of Believe. Things like drinking coffee will stunt your growth. Sitting too close to the TV will ruin your eyes. If you touch a frog, you're going to get what? going to get warts. If you keep making that face for too long, it's going to get stuck that way, right? Cracking your knuckles will give you arthritis. And if you pee in the pool, there's a special dye that'll turn red and everybody is going to know what you just did. And listen, here's the thing. We sometimes, we sometimes like a lie because a lie allows us to control. I mean, we want them to eat their carrots We don't want them sitting too close to the TV because they're in the way. We don't want them picking up frogs, and we certainly do not want anybody to pee in our pool. So lies allow us to control, and we like that, right? And lie also can be more comfortable to live by. You see, believing in a lie, believing in a lie can allow us to do or not do whatever we want. Therefore, a lie can be more pleasurable in the moment. Okay, here's the truth about the truth. A lot of times, we don't really want to hear the truth, do we? That's why the scale's here, right? There are times I don't mind standing on this thing. There are other times that, you know what, I'm going to wait a few days. (laughs) Because I don't want to hear the truth that this thing is going to tell me, right? And so... A lot of times we just simply don't want to hear the truth because it's going to make us uncomfortable. Paul talked about that a time was coming when people would 
would, would even come to church and they would gather around preachers who would only say the things that they want to hear. 2 Timothy 4.3, there's going to come a time when people won't listen to the truth. They won't step onto the scale. We'll go around looking for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. In other words, don't tell me, don't tell me the truth. Don't make me stand on the scale. That, that makes me uncomfortable. That, 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 that confronts me, convicts me. That could inconvenience me. Just tell me fun stuff, easy stuff, good stuff, not the hard stuff. Yeah, sometimes we, we all don't like the truth all that much because it can be very uncomfortable. Now, I was talking to someone this week about the fact that in the church, man, we just believe so many lies because those lies make us comfortable. You know, lies that, like, that you can be a Jesus follower without really being committed fully to Jesus Christ. Lies like that, that you can be a Jesus follower and God's all right with you even though you don't forgive that person who hurt you. Even though you gossip and slander other people on their back, you're okay, it's okay. You're all right, you're all right with God. Lies that you can be all right with God and not be sexually pure. Lies like that you can be really love and be devoted to his church, but you don't serve the church. You don't give your resources to the church. Or lies like you can be devoted to Jesus and not even go to church. Lies like you can be a good Christian and never even share your faith. Right? Because it makes us uncomfortable, right? Truth can make us uncomfortable. And I have to confess that sometimes I've made it easy for you all and other you alls in my history to believe those lies. And I repent of that. I don't want to make it easy to believe things that aren't true. And so what we have said in this series, there's an enemy and he despises the truth because he wants to control and enslave us. And we said that one of his primary weapons is lying. That's who he is. He's a deceiver. He's a master manipulator. Jesus says in John 8 that lying is his, it's his native tongue. He, he lies so he can separate us from God. And, and so he hands us this script and he tries to get us to read this script every day because he wants his lies to become our story. However, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, we are not unaware of his evil schemes and we will not let him outsmart us. Rather, we will flip the script with the truth of God. Because, as I said, it sounds corny, but it's true. Scripture is our what? Our script cure, right? Scripture is our script cure. And so since September 17th, that's what we've been doing. Exposing one of his lies to the truth of God. And the lies we've exposed so far are these lies. You don't have what it takes. You can't really make a difference. You can handle this on your own. You deserve to be happy. And this morning, October 15, 2017, the lie of the enemy, we want to expose the truth of God is this. You can never change. And man, he wants you to believe this lie. He wants you to believe that you will always be the same. He wants you to believe that you will always be an angry person, a fearful person, an insecure person, a bitter person, a lonely person, a depressed person, a negative and critical person. 
He wants you to believe that you will never break that habit, that you will never overcome that struggle, that you will never defeat that secret sin, that you'll never win your battle with lust. He wants you to believe that you will never be the man, the husband, the wife, the parents, the Jesus father that you want to be because you can never change. Listen, your enemy would love for you to embrace the philosophy of a guy I met when I was just a kid. And you might have met him too. Popeye the sailor man. Right? And, and do you remember what Popeye would say whenever he got frustrated or he felt inadequate for a task before him? He would say, I am what I am. Right? Now, now he wasn't a sophisticated guy. There were no diplomas on his wall, but he knew he was. He was a simple seafaring, pipe-smoking, spinach-sucking, olive-oil-loving sailor man, right? I am what I am. Uh, but you know what? I, I always sensed a, a note of sadness whenever he would say that. It, it was an expression usually offered as an explanation for his shortcomings. It was like he's saying, hey, don't get your hopes up. Don't expect much from me. I can't change. This is it. I am what I am. And in his darkest moments, he would actually say this. I am what I am, and that's all that I am. And that's a sad cry, I think, of much of the human race. Don't get your hopes up. Don't expect much from me. I, I can't change. It'll always be this way. I'll always be this way. I am what I am, and that's all that I am. Now, I'm pretty sure that most of us, if we're honest, have, have said those words or thought words just like that when we looked at something in our life or something about us that we wanted to change. I am what I am, and that's all that I am. But listen, if you find yourself feeling a little bit like Popeye the Sailor Man today, and if you bought into the lie that you can never change, I have good news of great joy for you. In fact, it's incredible news. I understand the core, the heart, the power, the message of the gospel is that change real change, authentic transformation that's not only possible, but that it's actually God's plan for your life. And that gospel has been changing lives for 2,000 years. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, if anyone, and the Greek word for anyone means anyone, turn to the person next to you and say, yo, you're an anyone. <laughs> Don't leave the yo out, yo. <laughs> If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Colossians 1.6. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It's bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives. Just as it changed your life from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. I, I love the gospel. There's nothing more that I love than seeing lives changed. I have one goal. One private goal as a pastor you know, is to connect people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's it. That's my one goal. If I can get you to Jesus, he'll take care of the rest. And what I want to do this morning, October 15, 2017, I keep repeating that date because somebody in here who's bought that lie is going to flip the script on that lie and they're going to say, you know what? I was in church in Virginia on October 15, 2017, and I decided that it's a lie that I can't change, and I decided with Jesus Christ that I can change. And so I want to talk about how this process of change is played out in our lives, and one thing we need to understand about this process of change is that it's actually a partnership. 
It's a partnership between us and God that Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 2. We read this. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you. I love this next part. Giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Now, work out is your part, and work in is God's part. And, and notice that it says, it doesn't say work for your salvation, right? It says work out your salvation. Because salvation, freedom from sin, and a new life and freedom found in Christ is not by works, so no one can boast, right? No one can say, hey, I got here on my own. But what Paul is saying to Jesus followers is simply this. Hey, you surrender your life to Christ, so what do you wait for? Start working out your salvation. Start growing. And notice he says, work out whose salvation? Your salvation. See, this is your individual assignment. See, you need to accept personal responsibility for your salvation. It, 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 it's not your mom's salvation. It's not your dad's salvation. It's not your wife's salvation. It's not your kid's salvation. It's not somebody else's salvation. It is yours, and you need to take personal responsibility for it. Get it? Good. And he says we're to work it out how? With what? Fear and what? Trembling. What's he talking about? Well, here's what I think he's talking about. It's not a kind of fear that makes us run from God, but it's a fear that makes us run to God because we realize that if we, that if we don't work out our salvation, that we will live a life that is so much smaller and shallower than God has planned for us. That we'll miss out. We'll live a life that is, we'll leave this earth never living the life that God dreamed for us. Bottom line, if you're a Jesus follower, you must take seriously growing up in your own salvation. It's yours. Nothing's more important than your spiritual growth. Nothing is more important than knowing Jesus Christ better. Why is that? Check out what Peter said. And when we know Jesus better, his divine power gives us everything we need for living a godly life. As we what? As we know Jesus better. And let there be no doubt about it. That at Maple Grove, we are about Jesus. Understand, we're here to worship Jesus, praise Jesus, serve Jesus, love Jesus, preach Jesus, live for Jesus, take people to Jesus. Why? So that they can become like Jesus. And you know what it spells? C-H-A-N-G-E, right? That is what God asks of me. C-H-A-N-G-E. That's what God asks of me. A little Aretha, right? Coming at you, right? Suck it to me, suck it to me, right? C-H-A-N-G-E. That is what God asks of me. Amen. Two main points, God's part and your part, and flipping the script. And here's the deal. You know, if you like to change, you know, I really encourage you to lean in this morning. If you bought into that lie, I am what I am, and that's all that I am, you know, just lean in this morning. Maybe God will speak to you. Let's, let's throw up a quick prayer to our Father. God, we love you. Uh, God, I ask you to just be here. Well, you are. Uh, I, I pray that we'll be aware of your presence and we'll hear the whispers of your spirit and we'll allow our heart to be pliable, Lord. And Lord, that we'll seek your truth and respond to it in Jesus' name. Amen.
Okay, God's part in changing us. Number one, God uses his word to change us. Now, the word of God has always had the power to change things. When I say always, I mean from the very beginning. Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was empty, a formless mass cloaked in darkness, and the Spirit of God was hovering over its surface. Then God said, let there be, and there was. And God saw that it was good. The earth was what? It was empty. A formless mass cloaked in darkness. And man, you know what? I think that describes so many people in our world today. Maybe some in this room. Empty. A formless mass, dark, I mean cloaked in darkness. And then God spoke. And everything changed. I mean, six times God speaks and an incredible, breathtaking world comes into existence out of nothing. Oceans, seas, rivers, mountains, waterfalls, giant redwoods stretching up into the skies, sunrises, sunsets, birds, lions, skies, stars, from empty, formless, to all that we see. That is a huge and massive change brought about not by some mythical big bang, but by an always existing God. Amen? From the beginning, God's word has always had power to change things. That's why I've always loved Isaiah 55, what it says about God's word. It's killer. As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making the bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that comes out of my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. The Word of God changes things. It changes lives. It, it makes them grow and bud and flourish. And God's Word will accomplish and achieve all that God desires, even in this room today, for those who have ears to hear and eyes to see. Timothy, I mean, Paul wrote to Timothy, all scriptures God breathed and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaching, teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip God's people to do every good work. So you see this, this book right here? This book is alive and this book is full of power. The power to teach us, the power to correct us, the power to help us to do the right thing, to live the right way. And that spells Change. That spells change. See, God's word, it, it, it generates life, creates faith, produces change, frightens the devil, causes miracles, heals hurts. God's word builds character. It transforms circumstances. It imparts joy. It overcomes adversity. God's word defeats temptations, infuses hope, releases power, cleanses our mind, brings things into being, and guarantees our forever. God uses his word to change us and he also uses the Holy Spirit to change us. And, and what an awesome gift the Holy Spirit is, right? I mean, it, it's like the best gift I, I've ever gotten, right? You too. Maybe we just need to open it up a little bit more. Let them out. And, and it's a gift that is given to us according to Dr. Luke in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, when, when a believer repents and is baptized in the name of Jesus, Repent to be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, 
Why? For forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I, I, I love that verse. I love the truth and promise of that verse, that if I repent and I'm baptized, my sins are forgiving, and that God gives me the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has one primary purpose in your life and mine. And that purpose is found in God's purpose for our lives. Romans 8, 29 and 30 says this, God knew them, that's us, before he made the world, he knew you. He decided that it would be like that they would be like his son, so that Jesus would be the firstborn of many brothers. God planned for them to what? Be like his son. See, that's God's plan for your life. To be like Jesus. I mean, let that sink in for a moment. That's his plan. Look around this room. It's for everybody in this room to be like Jesus. And in Genesis 1:27, we were created an image of God. Sin messed that image up. But God sent Jesus, Jesus unleashed the gospel and the Holy Spirit to restore that image that was lost in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. That's the Holy Spirit. It's got a role in changing us. Paul talked about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Crazy, we read it this week. And our faith comes from hearing. Not planned, but at least not by me. And Paul, he's talking about how your life and mine is like a letter. A letter that is read and seen by everybody we come in contact with. And Paul's getting kind of excited because he's like, this guy, he, he grew up under the old covenant, and he's excited because under the new covenant, we have help writing this letter. The Holy Spirit is helping us write some really, really awesome letters, lives that people can read. And, and that's why he says this, shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way? Now that the Holy Spirit has given life, and then he concludes the chapter this way. Whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away, the thing that kept them from understanding about God. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who've had the veil removed, we believe in Jesus, can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is Spirit, this is nuts. Take a deep breath. Makes us more and more like him, and we are changed into his glorious image. Are you kidding me? See, that's the purpose of the Holy Spirit in your life and mine. It's to, it's to make us like Jesus. And what was Jesus like? I'll tell you one thing. He was a living and breathing example of the fruit that Paul talked about, right, in Galatians chapter 5. Love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I tell you what, brothers and sisters, when you and I begin living that out through the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, that's some change, right? I don't know about you. If, the more I live that out, I, I'm changing, right? I, I'm a different person. And God also uses circumstances to change our lives. You know, the tough stuff, the difficulties, the headaches, the problems. C.S. Lewis says, God whispers to us in our pleasures, but he what? Shouts to us in our pain. Pain gets our attention, doesn't it? You know, we start noticing struggling and shouting when, when, when life pulls a rug out from us and sends us crashing to the ground. And God wants to use those times to change you. James talked about this. You know this verse. Consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. You nuts, Paul. 
I mean, James, you crazy? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work. It's your choice. You got to let it happen so that you may be mature, complete, not lacking in anything. And, I, and, and do you know what mature and complete, not lacking in anything spells? C-H-A-N-G-E. That is what God asks of me, right? And interesting about how God uses circumstances, it, 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 it makes no difference to them how they got there. <laughs> I mean, sometimes we're in bad circumstances because we did stupid stuff, right? Sometimes it's because other people did stupid stuff to us, right? And sometimes it's just because we live in a broken world. And God says, it doesn't matter to me how they got here because I'm going to take whatever you're going through, and if you let me do it, I'm going to use it to make you more like Jesus. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. That's the working in, now for the working out. Your part in change. I love this quote by Rick Warren. God wants you to grow up. Your Heavenly Father's goal is for you to mature and develop the characteristics of Christ. We've got an amber alert. (laughs) Wow. It definitely does. Uh, Father, uh, we have no idea who that amber alert is for. You do. And that means a child is in danger. And Father God, it went off in church, maybe for a reason. And God, I just pray that this child will be found unharmed and be found quickly. In Jesus' name, amen. God wants you to grow up. Your Heavenly Father's goal is for you to mature and develop the characteristics of Christ. Sadly, Millions of Christians grow older but never grow up. They are stuck in perpetual spiritual infancy, remaining in diapers and booties. The reason why is they never intended to grow. Spiritual growth is not automatic. It takes an intentional commitment. You must want to grow, decide to grow, make an effort to grow, and persist in growing. I couldn't agree more, right? Wouldn't it be cool if God, we just said right now, God, would you just clothe us right now? To the love of maturity, right? I mean, how many of us would be in diapers, right? You know, right now, shaking a rattle, wearing our booties, right? You, you see, it's not automatic. You can't just passively sit there and do nothing and expect to grow up in Christ. Get it? Good. Number one, right? If you want to grow, you want to change, you must choose to embrace God's word. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates, even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That's why we don't want to step on the scale. Now, the Word of God, it's the most published book of all time. Raise your hand if you have an analog Bible, right? One you can hold, right? Okay. And raise your hand if you have a Bible app on your phone, right? Okay, like, okay. like the Bible is like everywhere. Question. If God's word is everywhere, and if God's word has the power to change lives, then why are the lives of so many Jesus followers not really changed, and why are we not shocked that they're not changed? I understand it. 
if you want the power of this book to change your life, you need to do some things. Yeah, it's a supernatural book, but it's not magic, right? I mean, you cannot just hold this in your, in your hand, put it on a shelf, put it on your phone, and it's going to beam rays into your head, right? That's going to change you, right? That's not going to happen. You must do two things for this book to change you. Number one, and this is going to blow your mind, you must read it. Crazy, right? I mean, it should be obvious, right? Like tell someone, if you want to eat, you must open your mouth. Are you kidding me? I got to open my mouth to get the food in there? But yet, right? Yet. Deuteronomy 17, God talked about when a, when a king first took the throne, what he must do and, and how he was to rule from that throne. Check this out. When he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is the right for himself on a scroll a copy of this law taken from the Levitical priest. So he's got to write out the Bible in his own handwriting. It's to be with him and it's to be read all the days of his life so they may learn to revere the Lord and follow carefully all the words of the law and these decrees and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites and turn from the law to the right or to the left. Then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel, right? If you know the Old Testament, I don't think a whole lot of guys did that, right? They, they didn't do such a good job reading it. God told Joshua, keep this book of law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. And our theme verse for our Bible reading program here, Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of Christ. Question. Do you read this book? How often? I, I made a Facebook post this week. This one right here. You can be a growing, maturing, and on fire Jesus follower, even if you rarely or never read God's word. Hashtag, that's a lie. And, and, and a friend of mine from our ministry in Georgia posted, Carol Siddle said, I read this and thought, no, you can't. Then I read your tag. LOL, Carol Siddle. But you know what, it's, it's not so LOL. It's sad. It's tragic. It, it, it's a lie straight from the enemy that you can follow Jesus. I'm telling you right now. If you, it's a lie straight from the enemy that you can follow Jesus Christ and never read his word. It's a lie. And he wants you to believe this lie. Why? Because he's waging war against your heart and against your soul. And the last thing he wants you to do is to pick up a sword. That's the last thing he wants you to do. You must read it. And you must live it. Do not merely listen to the word. And so deceive yourself. Do what it says. If this book tells you to do something, do you do it? Or is it a wood grill buffet, right? <laughs> I like the fried chicken, chicken livers, but I, I don't want none of the other stuff. Nothing green for me, maybe. This book is full of life-changing truths, right? About loving your enemies, controlling your tongue, coming to church not to be served, but to serve, dying to yourself, forgetting the past, pressing on to the future, seeking first God's kingdom, And when you hear a brother and sister need you help, right? 
help them out. You don't say, <laughs> be warm and well fed, have a good day. But you do something. You do something and you lend a hand and, and you help that brother or sister out. We're taking sign-ups over there today. You had your children's ministry say, hey, I need help. She needs more than prayers, right? right? She needs people to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to help. I'm going to help. You see, unless we put these truths into practice, they remain only words on the page and they won't change our lives. We've got to read the script and live the script. Amen? Yeah, I know, I know. Good, but it's just, I know, it's a little uncomfortable, a little hot in here. I like heat. Fire. And we must also depend on God's spirit. So see, we, we can't change on our own power, right? Our best intentions, it just won't do it. And we got to be connected to God to change. And Jesus talked about that, right? He, he talked about he, how he is the vine and, and we're the branches, right? And, and, and branches are totally dependent upon the vine. And he, he, here, here's the truth. A, a, a branch connected to a vine has no choice. It will bear fruit, right? A branch disconnected from the vine has no chance, right? Has no chance. See, we just got to be connected. We got we to gotta be plugged into God. He has the power, but for that power to flow, we, we have to be connected. And how do you know if you're depending on God's spirit? Well, one way is to check your prayer life. See, your prayers demonstrate your dependence on God. Listen, whatever you pray about is what you're hooked into God about, and whatever you're not praying about is what you're trying to do on your own. Prayer is like a litmus test. It's a secret of knowing that we're connected to God. Therefore, pray about your decisions, your needs, your interests, your schedule, your problems, your purchases, your hurts, your anger, your pain, your attitude, your words, your responses. Pray about people, people you're going to meet, people you like to slap alongside the head, right? Pray about everything. That's what it means to be connected to him and to be aware of his presence, being in step with him. And it's a two-way communications. We pray and also we listen to God, right? We listen. In George Bernard Shaw's play, St. Joan, one of the characters asked Joan of Arc why the voice of God never speaks to him like she claims he speaks to her. And you know what she said? The voice speaks to you all the time. You just fail to listen. And so do you listen to the whispers of the Spirit when he tells you to, to reach out, to forgive, to serve, to give, to open up his book, to help a brother or sister in need? Do you depend on the Spirit? Do you walk with him? Hey, what should I do, Spirit? How should I respond? What should I say? And you must respond to your circumstances wisely. Like James said, consider pure joy, right? That can be hard. Can I get an amen? <laughs> consider pure joy, right? right? Yeah. That's how we respond wisely, right? Consider pure joy when you're going through hard times because you know something, right? You know at the end is the purpose of God. It's going to make you, it's going to make you more like Jesus. And see, so you don't, we have no idea what's going to happen to us next month or next year, Right? but we get to choose how we respond. We get to choose how we react. Is, it, or, is what happens to you or has happened to you, is it going to make you or break you? Is it going to make you bitter or make you better? 
Are you going to be a victim or a victor? Is it going to be a stepping stone to maturity or a stumbling block to failure? See, what matters is not what happens to us, but what happens in us or what we allow God to do in us when we're going through hard times. I mean, we've all seen people put in the exact same situation. And one will come out a winner, the other will come out a whiner, right? One will come out better, the other will come out bitter. One will be complaining, the other is turning into a gold mine. See, when hard times come, many times we ask the wrong questions. Why did this happen to me? Why won't you just fix my, my, my? But when we join God in this change, process of change, we begin to ask different questions. Lord, what are you trying to teach me in this? Lord, what is there in my heart you're trying to reveal? What issue are you trying to bring to light? What is it you want me to change? What is it you want me to let go of? What is the good you would like to bring out of this? How can this help me become mature and complete, not lacking in anything? See, these are new questions for a, a new you. And, and the key, as we wrap up here, it, it, you know, to responding wisely to our circumstances is to trust God more. Paul writes, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. We know that they are good for us. They help us learn to be patient. And patience develops strength of character and helps us trust God more. Those who trust in Mount Zion or those who trust in the Lord are as secure as Mount Zion. They will not be defeated. They will endure forever. I, I got to read this super, super quick. Um, I read this this morning. I'm catching up to my reading. Faith comes from hearing and, and reading Psalm 59. And, and uh, David wrote that psalm. And uh, they, on, on these psalms, I don't know if you notice, sometimes they give you like the backstory, right? Like, hey, why did David write this, this psalm right here? And Psalm 59, you know, he says, A psalm of David regarding the time Saul sent soldiers to watch David's house in order to kill him, to be sung to the tune, Do Not Destroy. <laughs> Do Not Destroy. I don't know what the tune is, but that's the tune, right? And, and, and he's talking about his enemies and they're coming after him and they're nasty and all this stuff, right? But he ends like this. I love this. All this is going on. My circumstances are great. Somebody's trying to kill me, and he's a king, has a lot of power. Verse 16. But as for me, I'll sing about your power. Each morning I will sing with joy about your unfailing love, for you have been my refuge, a place of safety when I am in distress. Oh, my strength, to you I sing praises, for you, O oh God, are my refuge, the God who shows me unfailing love. You, go, you know, I'm not going to think about my enemies. I'm going to think about you because I can trust in you that you are going to take care of it. And that's how we respond wisely, by trusting in God. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. And I want to close with a passage Paul wrote to that same group of believers in Philippi. And I'm certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally what? Finally finished. And how could Paul be so confident that God would complete his work in them? Because Paul knew that they were doing their part. And listen, you doing your part and me doing my part, it's the only variable in this change into Christ-likeness equation. Do you hear me? What I just said? The only variable that happened is us. 
The enemy hands you a script that says you can never change. That's a lie. That's a lie. And listen, if you will do your part, God will show up and do his part because he is faithful. And listen, the change you want in your life is only your choices away. That's it. Will you choose to embrace God's word? Read it? Live it? Will you choose to depend on, tap in, lean on, and learn, and walk and step with the Holy Spirit and figure out more and more how to do that? And will you respond wisely to your circumstances, trusting the great God who's over all, before all, and created all? Would you stand and pray with me? Father, we love you and we thank you for this opportunity to be in your house. And God, the enemy wants us to stay the same and we're all on a track headed to the same place to look more like Jesus. We're all at different places, but we all have the same goal. And God, I just pray that you would move and God, if there's truth that we want to avoid because it's uncomfortable, Holy Spirit, please do not allow us to do that. Because it's the truth, not lies, it's the truth that sets us free. In Jesus' name, amen.